0: Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening this week. Right about now, the April rent or mortgage is due. Some landlords and lenders give grace periods, maybe five, maybe up to 15 days before charging late fees. But the bill is due.
1: We normally pay on the first. We are holding out until hopefully the fifth to see if they, the landlord gives us some, some guidance.
0: This is Antonio Sosa. He rents a three bedroom apartment in Hylia Gardens and lives with his partner and his brother. Sosa works for an insurance company and he's still working, but working from home. Rent is $1,500 a month. Late last week, the apartment management company sent an email to tenants saying they should pay what they can pay, reminding them that the rent is due. Since he's still working, Sosa said he paid the amount in full.
1: My situation in, in this community is, is uh, better than others. You know, in my community in in Hialeah Gardens here, there's a lot of people that do more um, blue-collar work, air techs, construction, and retail, for example. And I can tell because I drive by my neighbors, I see my neighbors, I see their uniforms. And I think that they're going to be more impacted than me, obviously. I'm pretty sure soon I'll see people either foregoing their rent payments here or moving.
0: Evictions and mortgage foreclosures have been put on hold statewide until mid-May. Governor Ron DeSantis signed an executive order putting the moratorium in place late last week, a day after issuing the statewide stay-at-home order. Kathy Kilroy and Michael Blades rent an apartment next to their home in Key West.
2: Probably 750 square feet.
3: Small.
4: Two-story, yep.
3: And right now we have um, a couple, uh, their son who is, what,
4: 12
3: 12 or 13 13 live there.
0: They're fairly comfortable, I think. They like it. Rent is usually $1,800 a month, but they know their tenants work in the tourism industry, which has been shut down.
2: Probably two weeks ago, uh, Michael and I had sort of... um, I guess we both had been thinking about it independently, and I had mentioned to Michael that maybe we should think about lowering their rent for the next, you know, three or four months. And Michael immediately agreed. So we decided 900 a month for the next three months at least and then revisit it at that point which is half uh the amount that they would normally pay so i mean the thing is we don't even know if they'll be able to do the 900 if they can't they can't there's there's nothing we can do we're not gonna evict them yeah
0: Across South Florida, 40% of people are renters, and two out of three of them spend at least 30% of their income on rent. Anyone paying more than 30% of their income on housing is considered cost burdened by the federal government's definition. That means they may have trouble paying for other necessities like food, clothing, and medical care. The Miami Herald analyzed 2018 census data of South Florida renters spending at least half their income on rent and who also worked in the hospitality industry. The Herald's analysis figures about 55,000 people who spend half their income on rent have lost their jobs or seen their pay cut because of COVID-19. Iona Williams works in human resources for a small company in travel retail. She is still working, but doesn't know for how long. She rents a loft apartment near Wynwood, costing $2,450 a month, almost all of one of her two monthly paychecks. She was able to pay her April rent, but doesn't know about next month.
2: We'll see what happens. But if we have any type of salary cut for me, you know, then my net check possibly will be less than $2,500. If they, you know, cut our salaries by 20 percent like they're proposing, um, it'll place, you know, me in a tough situation.
0: Paul Canella lives about 1,200 miles away from his rental units in South Florida.
4: I live in uh, New York City. And I have two properties down in Florida, two apartments down in Broward County.
0: Canelo's parents owned one of the apartments before giving it to him. He then bought a neighboring unit. There are two bedroom apartments catering to snowbirds.
4: It's a plan for the future for me. It's, I, would, I love being in South Florida. It's fantastic. It's my getaway spot in the off season. And uh, it's a little bit of a moneymaker in the, in the high season. So it's a, it's a great investment.
0: Both apartments were rented January through March. One tenant left, and that unit is empty. The second renter asked to stick around because of all the uncertainty about moving about.
4: Normally, we would have to work out a, a deal to, to pay extra. But in this case, I just said, you know, just stay as long as you need to. I'm not charging him as long as, he, you know, for the month of April. If he needs to stay past that for some reason, we'll work something out. But, um, you know, I just, I couldn't in good in good conscience, charge someone who's trying to figure out how to best navigate this situation.
0: Canella says the tenant sticking around has agreed to pay for electricity, and his expenses as a landlord continue. He still has a mortgage on one of the apartments and insurance and assessments.
4: This year is going to be a tough year. I'll have to dip into savings to pull out uh, and pay for the maintenance costs and anything else.
0: For homeowners, the risk of a foreclosure may be stopped for now. Wells Fargo is the largest mortgage lender in the country. In a statement to WLRN, it said it is granting homeowners a three-month suspension of payments on mortgages or home equity loans, if they ask for it. After that three months is up, how the missed loan payments are treated depends upon a lot of factors, including who actually owns the loan. Banks don't keep all of the loans they issue, so other investors may have other demands. Bank of America, another big home lender, also is offering borrowers more time by skipping payments now and tacking them on to the end of the loan. Still to come, another mortgage bill for some, the monthly homeowners association fee.
1: So far, we have seen that residents continue to make the payments that are necessary to maintain and operate those associations. We have not seen a drop off of that at all.
0: Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening and supporting public radio. It's not just the rent or mortgage that's due, so are monthly assessments if you belong to a condo or home association. Those checks pay for clubhouses, pools, security, insurance for those common spaces, and maybe other amenities. These monthly fees can be a couple hundred dollars or more per month. In South Florida, one out of every 16 people live in a community managed by First Service Residential. The company is based in Dania Beach. It manages more than 900 home and condominium associations in South Florida, with over 400,000 people combined calling them home. During the Great Recession, it wasn't until about a year after the housing crash that late payments or no payments for these monthly assessments began to rise. And now these homeowner associations have a financial cushion of 10 to 20 percent of their annual budgets held in reserves, according to First Service data. David Deestel is the regional president in the South for First Service Residential.
1: We are not seeing or expecting high delinquencies coming up in any anytime soon uh, in the next coming months in the majority of our communities.
0: And how do you explain that, given the job destruction that's happened uh, across the United States, but especially here in Florida?
1: For all of our homeowners today living with the shelter-in-place rules that have come into play, um, they're all at home caring for themselves. And our associations, it is the payment of those maintenance fees that keep running those associations. Um, What we know is that people need to be at home, and in order to continue living in those places, they have to pay their maintenance fees. Half of their condominium expenses go towards paying the staff that serves them each and every day, and the other half of it goes towards paying utilities, insurance, electricity, water, to keep those associations clean, healthy, and operational
0: certainly operate, but what about the cash necessary for those checks to clear here in the first full week of April? Absolutely.
1: Well, so far, we have seen that residents continue to make the payments that are necessary to maintain and operate those associations. We have not seen a drop of that at all. Um, we saw our learning from 2008, for the last financial crisis was that it took a, a while for associations and the cash flow to be impacted over a much longer period of time. So it is a truly unfortunate situation that many people are in, uh, in associations. However, we do not expect to see a big drop off uh, in the next, in the short period that you mentioned.
0: Uh, but short period, meaning certainly in April, you're not seeing it. Are those assessments, by the way, due uh, essentially now?
1: The majority, they are absolutely, um, the majority of our associations do pay monthly. And uh, what we've seen previously, and if I reference back to 2008, is that people do prioritize and understand um, that they need to continue to pay their maintenance fees to continue to live in their communities.
0: So would you be looking at maybe, what, June, July, August, if uh, if a economic uh, recession slowdown doesn't pick up? considerably pretty quick for those assessments to begin to maybe be missed?
1: Yeah, I mean, what we would, what we provide to all of our associations is monthly cash flow statements so they can see all of the assessments they collect and certainly, certainly understand where they do have issues where individuals can't make payments. Um, it is at that time we work with every board and every association to look at how they can help improve those collection Uh, activities, as well as manage their operations um, through this crisis with either short-term loans or what are the other measures that an association can take um, to provide enough cash flow to keep operational.
0: It sounds like the data that you're seeing initially here is pretty optimistic about owners continuing to pay those monthly assessments. As this crisis potentially wears on and we may not see a V-shaped recovery, so to speak, and especially in the job market. Uh, what are the conditions that First Service is going to be using when working with homeowners or condominium owners who may not be able to make those monthly assessment payments?
1: Yeah, so those decisions are a decision for the board of those community associations, and we work diligently alongside those boards to to understand their budgets for the coming year. Um, As you may know, Tom, many of the associations, uh, they plan an annual budget, and it is at that point that we enter the budget season that we work with our associations, the treasurer, to put together their plans for the coming year. At that point, which typically we start in June, um, we'll be putting together the operational plan alongside that board to determine um, whether or not what projects they want to proceed with and determine what budgets and cash flow they require for the next twelve months.
0: So, I guess my question, though, is when they, if they, if you begin to experience missing assessments, uh, how is First Service going to be, be approaching that shortfall in cash? Um,
1: well, these are this shortfall is for the individual associations. So, the maintenance fees that get paid um, are to the on behalf of the associations to operate those properties. So, any shortfall of payment from homeowner is about living in their homes and their communities. So, it is at that point that we will be working alongside those boards and those communities to put plans in place, whether it is short-term loan programs for them to help their cash flow, whether they can defer some long-term projects, how they can look at um, their operating budgets for the coming year and make those adjustments on behalf of all the homeowners that live in those communities.
0: What are some of the consequences for individual owners if in uh, several months' time they're having trouble come up with those assessments?
1: So each association and each community has their own collection policies that the board administers, and we help them administer those policies. Uh, At that point in time, uh, every board has to make decisions on, on what actions to proceed with in accordance with those policies. So, unfortunately, all homeowners have to contribute to the operating budgets of those associations, and it is their responsibility for the whole to keep those communities operational. Um, The board will then have to determine what collection initiatives they would like to embark in to collect those funds from homeowners that are unfortunately delinquent at this time.
0: What kind of uh, policies are in place with first service? In other words, waivers, deferrals? Um, Those types of, of, uh, I suppose, working with uh, homeowners associations.
1: Yeah, so the homeowners associations, um, we do work with our homeowners associations and their attorney to create their uh, collection policies. And really that board, it's our obligation to enforce and carry out the policies for the board. We certainly make recommendations to a community in terms of um, their financial management, how to budget. Uh, and the implications of long-term health of that community.
0: What kinds of options may exist in, again, several months' time if we don't see this clear up, uh, uh, the economic consequences of COVID-19 clear up relatively quickly for folks and their incomes?
1: Yes, where I'm very optimistic is the long-term health and resiliency of the communities we manage. Uh, uh, Reaching back to 2008 again, what we did see was how we were able to support our communities, associations, and residents through very difficult times. Um, We helped them manage their budget, their operating costs. We put programs in place for them, such as loans, um, collection policies to execute on that. And with that, we helped them get through the crisis provide them um, financial expertise. And then as a result now, um, our communities came out of that last crisis very healthy and vibrant and continuing.
0: Are there policies such as waivers, holidays, deferrals on these fees that have been used in the past that may be dusted off and looked at again?
1: Absolutely. Um, The board does have the right to provide uh, waivers for homeowners.
0: But do you have the ability to do that with the associations? only with the permission of the association
1: for the homeowner fees. it is The obligation is with the board to provide those. Those waivers are provided by the board um, acting, a,
0: again, with the agreement of their attorneys. Are all common areas in your managed buildings closed now?
1: The majority of the, I will use the term amenities, are now closed. And I'm including the spas, fitness centers, pool area, pool decks. Um, the common areas, the lobbies, the front desks, are continue to be operate. Our homeowners have to live every day, but certainly we have implemented all of the best practices as recommended by the CDC uh, as well as other health organizations.
0: And is first service requiring residents in the communities you manage to report if there is a COVID nineteen infection in their household?
1: We are certainly asking that residents voluntarily do share that information, particularly in high-rise communities. So we are always balancing um, the health and well-being of an individual and treating them in this difficult time with empathy, but also helping them get through what must be deeply concerning for them, as well as ensuring that the health and safety of all the residents within a community. And that's why we're asking them to share that information with us.
0: Speaking with David Diestel, the regional president in the South for property management company First Service Residential. Now, still to come, with most of us staying home, what's the CoVID effect on commercial properties like restaurants, retail, and other places?
5: For retail um tenants, um, I would say we're expecting majority to not pay for rent. I think
2: anyone that believes this is a faucet that's just going to turn back on, I think that's the wrong perspective.
0: This is the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening and supporting WLRN. You probably don't recognize the names Mast Capital and Tricera Capital, but you may know some of the properties they own.
2: The Conrad Hotel in Brickell.
0: We
5: are closing soon on the retail below the new uh, Society Las Olas um, development site, where the old Las Olas Riverfront project used to be.
2: A town place suites hotel that's in Doral Market.
5: We own a couple properties in Flagler Village that we uh, refer to as Uptown and The Hive.
2: We own a Walgreens in Miami Beach.
5: In West Palm Beach. Um, we're also partners in a uh, project on Clemata Street where uh, Rocco's Tacos and Design Within Reach and Starbucks is.
2: We just most recently bought the Quay Shopping Center in Fort
0: Lauderdale. That's Cassie Resnick with Mass Capital and Scott Sherman of Tricera Capital. The two companies are real estate investors and managers. They represent an important leg of the real estate market, commercial real estate. With restaurants, hotels, and other businesses closed or operating at reduced hours, that means fewer sales, so those companies may have trouble making rent. Scott, give us a sense for those existing projects that you're involved with. Any sense of how many tenants are going to miss April rent and by how much?
5: As it relates to our retail um, tenants, um, I would say we're expecting the majority um, to not pay April rent. Now, I think characterizing it as missing April rent maybe isn't appropriate at this point, only because we've actually been very proactive um, as a company to get ahead of this, seeing where this is going, and and, and really understanding that all of our tenants uh, along with us, everyone's kind of dealing with this together, and and, and it really has to be a kind of a, a team partnership type of mentality right now with landlords and tenants, and lenders uh, for the most part, um, because everyone's going to feel it, and everyone needs to kind of figure out how to get through this. And so we have actually um, offered to defer April rent for a lot of our retail tenants, and basically um, amortize that that deferral over the back end of the lease term um, to give everyone some breathing room for April, so everyone can kind of Come up with a game plan, uh, take a deep breath, and figure out a plan for the next 90 days to kind of weather through this.
0: Commercial property leases tend to run several years, so Tricera Capital is offering its tenants to add any missing rent payments now to the final few months of its lease, which may be in a few years. Cassie Resnick at Mass Capital also expects some of their tenants to miss April rent payments. Addressing it, though, may not be as simple as a property owner offering to delay the rent.
2: I think you're going to have a disproportionate amount of delinquencies by those that are uh, of a small business nature.
0: How are you engaging with the tenants? Uh, are they calling and asking for waivers or delays? Are you offering those kinds of things for the companies you work with and your properties that you own?
2: Um, a lot of those things are are just starting to happen. And so we tend to um, wait until we get requests on hardship from individuals, um, and then we approach them on a case-by-case basis.
0: So it's more piecemeal as opposed to a comprehensive strategy.
2: Correct. And everyone's going to have different hardships that they face, depending on their business line. Um, I think it has to be a customized experience. It has to be a fair experience.
0: For some of those retail tenants that you mentioned or small business tenants that uh, you anticipate are simply not going to be able to pay the full rent for April or anything at all.
2: Yeah, it's a really tough thing to figure out because the owner has obligations as well, often with a secured creditor.
0: Right. In other words, the the mortgages, for instance, that uh, you've taken out in order to purchase the property.
2: Correct. And so you have issues with the tenants not being able to pay rent because they often can't operate their business if it's not deemed essential. Um And then you have a lender which has obligations to its investors to continue to pay based on getting paid interest payments. So what you are allowed to potentially offer to tenants is very much going to be hand in hand with what, as an owner, you're able to work out with your lender.
0: The shoot a drop, so to speak, in that is at the tenant level because you know that that cash flow has been limited at best over the past month, in some cases has been eliminated if it's a non-essential business, right?
2: Correct. If you're a restaurant and you can't open your restaurant, then you can't serve meals and you can't create revenue. It's not easy for them to, to pay what they were previously signed up to, to pay. Um, you know, And it's it's understandable why.
0: Just as you're waiting for tenants to engage with you as the property owner, have you engaged with your lenders?
2: Yes, I think every commercial owner is engaged with their their lenders at this point. I mean, you can't go from, you know, 90% occupancy to like zero at a hotel overnight and expect things not to impact globally. So I, I, I think it's just very widespread. I think some banks have been ahead of the curve and issued kind of general things, what they're doing for the next 90 days. And then, drilling down into each loan and spending some time to figure out what the modifications will be. Um, and others don't know yet what they're going
0: to do. As the real estate market waits for how lenders will deal with missed or partial payments on loans, Tricera Capital has been encouraging their business tenants to apply for zero interest rate loans that may be forgiven under one of the federal stimulus packages passed to help small business. It's called the CARES Act and has $350 billion for small firms nationwide. Companies could begin applying last week. But the process has not been smooth, with questions about criteria and the application process. This is Ben Mandel, who runs Tricera Capital with Scott Sherman.
6: If you know these small businesses are able to get the two and a half you know months of of um, you know to cover salary. And that, you know, on the forgivable loans and they, and they get that it's, it's salary and overhead and then that gives them the ability to, to also pay their rent payments. Right. And so it, it is first come first serve basis. And so we've been telling all of our tenants, you have to apply now and, and get in um, the, the system so that you can hopefully be one of the, you know, small businesses that does get um, the two and a half, you know, months of, 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 of cushion and, and support.
0: Ben, as the landlord, are you requiring them to at least put that application in as a, uh, uh, as a condition for the, uh, the relief that you're offering for April?
6: No, we're suggesting, you know, it, it's, it's a good idea for
0: them to do so. Scott, go ahead.
5: What we've been really doing over the last two weeks, we have someone in our office who, who literally, we basically said your entire focus right now is understanding every single potential program out there that our tenants could potentially utilize to help them weather the storm, whether that's a, a local city item, whether it's a state item or a federal item like the CARES Act that just came out. So we've been sending out uh, regular updates to all of our tenants, really just giving them a handbook of everything that we, we've we been able to find out there that they can utilize to help them weather the storm.
6: To Scott's point, we are seeing you know some of our tenants um, and other operators out there outside of our portfolio get really creative to try to bring some income in right now One example um, that I like to use is is a partner of ours who owns this pizza concept in Brickle. You know, is selling um, make-your-own pizza kits so that the you know parents and kids can actually make the pizzas at home. Um, They can either have it delivered or go pick it up, and it's just it's an activity um, in such an important time to you know figure out you know how you're going to be spending your time with with your kids you know stuck in your house
0: (laughs) 24 seven. So the pizza maker selling the raw materials and then the recipe, right?
6: Correct. And Scott actually bought a few of them and and made some pizzas with with
0: his kids at home. How'd they turn out, Scott?
5: They tasted good. I I don't think they looked as good. But I'll tell you, it was a great activity with the kids. It killed an hour. We got to eat dinner. And these are the types of things that right now I think count, you know?
0: Still to come in our program, a bright spot in what is otherwise a very uncertain outlook right now for the regional housing market.
3: I expect that anything under 400,000 is probably gonna hold its value. And once we get through this, we'll see price increases again.
0: We're back on the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Jack McCabe was one of the earliest voices warning of the housing collapse 13 years ago. He runs a real estate economic consulting firm based in Deerfield Beach, McCabe Research and Consulting. As early as 2005, he was sounding alarms of a slowing housing market in South Florida. Of course, it didn't just slow, it collapsed. McCabe is not predicting a similar crash in the regional housing market because of the coronavirus. Sure, the high end of the market, new luxury homes and condominiums, has seen softer prices even before the stay-at-home orders to slow the spread of COVID-19. But the middle of the housing market is much stronger because very few new homes in that price range have been built. Still, to call McCabe cautious on the South Florida housing market right now may be overstating his expectations for how it comes through the coronavirus. He's worried. We spoke with him via Skype. Jack, welcome back to WLRN. Have you been able to even have a guesstimate about what the short-term impact of the COVID nineteen response and the economic consequences could be on the South Florida housing market?
3: Well, I think without a doubt, we're already in a severe recession, Tom. Um, there's no getting around it. I mean, I fully expect to see negative gross uh, domestic product somewhere in the range of four to five percent. Um, It could be higher, but uh, with South Florida being so tourist and service oriented uh, with all the flights shut down, the cruise ships shut down. So I would say that there's no doubt that we're in a recession. It's just is it as severe as I think a lot of people believe it might be already.
0: So what could be that short term impact on the residential Housing market. And by short term, let's just say this how about the next three or four months?
3: Well, going into this, we already had a tremendous oversupply of luxury new condominiums throughout Broward, Miami, Dade County. Uh, we've already seen price drops, uh, concessions and incentives, uh, large broker commissions to bring the builders a buyer. And now with this, I think we're going to see many canceled contracts, uh, walkaways. A lot of people, especially those that were looking at buying second and third homes with the economic impact of this pandemic, I don't think there's any doubt that we're going to see a lot of contracts that are currently pending that, that will be canceled. And I think it's going to mean some pretty severe price depression for the new luxury condos, which are all primarily luxury class A and A plus.
0: Does that have a ripple effect though in the existing single family home supply where uh, a lot of us South Floridians live and work?
3: Well, absolutely it does, but it's going to have more an effect on the top price tier, which is primarily more investors, second and third home buyers. Um, I happen to think that Single-family homes that are priced at 400000 and below are probably going to withstand this pandemic fairly well because we've had increased migration from the northeast and, and from eastern Canada, from uh, Quebec province, and yet we haven't had any real new supply in that under 400000 price range, which means we've had increasing demand and static supply. So I expect that anything under four hundred thousand is probably going to hold its value, and once we get through this, we'll see price increases again.
0: The shape of the South Florida housing market before COVID nineteen uh, was pretty strong in that median home price area, right? That two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollar single uh, family home. Um, and as you mentioned, you've got some optimism that that has enough kind of wind in its sail to be able to withstand the uh, the storm we're in now.
3: Yeah, the big question is going to be how many people lose their jobs from this. I mean, permanently lose them and do not find other income after this.
0: And that leads us to that conversation about the potential of mortgage defaults into foreclosure, something we experienced 13, 14 years
3: ago. Well, I think they're trying to address that problem now. I think we're seeing a lot of lenders that are saying that they're they're going to grant mortgage forgiveness or they're, they're going to you know allow people to not make their payments for three months. I mean, they will have to make them. And if they don't have the money three months from now, then they're in trouble. But I think some will actually add those payments to the back end of the loan uh, so that if people don't have the money three months from now, which more than likely they're not going to, uh, they won't lose their homes over it. So what kind
0: of velocity does the local housing market have to come through this?
3: I think there's a lot of people that are in severe danger of losing the roofs over their heads. You know, we're going to see some concessions and, and, some different stimulus to try and address that problem. But, you know, when you're getting a $1,200 check and your mortgage or your rent payment is $1,800 or $2,000, it doesn't really help much. So the big question is going to be how quickly people do get back to work, if they still have jobs, if they still will yield the type of incomes that they have been making. And this is all up in the air right now. It's I think you know, even even the best analysts are in a quandary as far as what's going to happen from here because we still don't know when this is going to end. It may be too optimistic to say that by the end of April, we're going to be on a rebound. It may be considerably longer. And then the big question is going to be, are, are we not just in a recession, but are we actually moving closer to what might be considered a depression and then You know all bets are out the window as far as what's going to happen with real estate prices even on that lower end where we've seen the growing demand and the static supply so the big question now is going to be employment and income because the stimulus while it'll be there and while the numbers look grandiose from a national federal level For the typical homeowner, $1,200 is not going to help them out a great deal.
0: Jack, you've been watching real estate, particularly in South Florida, for a good number of cycles. How do you gauge your own level of fear or greed, to put it in market terms,
3: right now? Well, I'm scared of this. We had all the numbers that we could count on, and I could see what was happening in the marketplace last time, and it made it fairly easy to predict what was going to happen. This time around, I don't know if there's any way of predicting. I mean, we're, we're hearing we could have death tolls in the United States of, at the low end, 100 to 240,000, and yet I'm hearing some experts say if people don't stay in their homes, that that number could increase to a million to 2 million. Uh, the effect that that's going to have on, on our economy and on our real estate markets, it's just unimaginable to most any. I mean, you can you can try and come up with some conclusions, but I don't know how you do because the it data right now
7: is, is just
3: insufficient. I think it's very incorrect. I'm out it's savings. not able to keep hey, up. This I know most – I keep getting a lot of uh, – emails from commercial brokers and from mortgage lenders saying, we're still in business. We're here to help you. Um, But I know that there's just a tremendous amount of fear out there in the marketplace from all services and businesses involved in real estate. And I don't know what's going to happen, Tom. I wish I did. I mean, I I hoped I was somewhat of a, a beacon of light in the last downturn This time around, I just don't know. Speaking
0: via Skype with housing analyst Jack McCabe of McCabe Research and Consulting based in Deerfield Beach. Now still to come, a story of money and the price of life while living with the economic realities brought on by the battle against the COVID-19 virus. We're back on the Sunshine Economy. Thanks again for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. Life has changed so fast and in so many ways for so many people. If you or someone you know wants to share their story of money and the price of life in this battle against COVID-19, please email us, sunshine Economy at wlrnnews.org. Sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. We're bringing you financial statements, stories of money and the price of life in South Florida. Today's story comes from Susan Hamilton in Miami Beach. Like a lot of South Floridians, she came for the weather and carved out a living doing what she loves in a place she loves. She's experienced tough financial times and her own health scares in the past. Now she's trying to adjust to the changes forced on her by the efforts to slow the spread of the virus.
7: My name is Susan Hamilton. I'm fast approaching the age of 65. I live on Miami Beach and I am a Pilates instructor Comma fitness instructor, sole proprietor of a studio. I relocated from Columbus, Ohio, um, 17 years ago. I wanted to move to Florida before I retired. I'd always wanted to get out of um, the grayness, and I'm not a cold-weather person, so I um, I created this opportunity. It was pull myself up by the bootstraps, get down here, and start making connections with people. And one person led to another to a nice job, and I was an independent contractor here for uh, about 15 years before I opened my own studio. During the winter months, I have a couple of snowbirds, so it fills up my schedule quite well. Um, and during the regular season, I have a good um, solid 12 to 15 clients. Um, and it's... um. It's a nice level of work for me, a nice amount of work for me. It's been pretty consistent. I run my business a little differently than a lot of the um, well-known Pilates studios in town. I have a different business model. I don't rent a high-end first-floor space. I have a uh, sufficiently-sized studio. It's um, and I have equipment for you know two to three people to work, and I don't hire anyone. I am a Midwest gal. Where I come from, <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I don't believe in paying $100 for a Pilates class unless the instructor is a physical therapist. Um, I want this to be affordable for everyone and I would do it for free if I could. It's approximately uh, $20 uh, to $60 an hour, depending on what type of class you would come in for. And if I would travel to your home, it would be additional 75 to 100, depending on the distance. I get by, I I am collecting social security at this point. Well, I didn't close the studio until the city mandated it. When the city of Miami Beach really said, you know, no, nothing but essential businesses, I said it's it's time, it's time for me to step aside and and try to do this differently. So I am investigating, doing um, either a FaceTime video one-on-one with clients. Um, there's also a conferencing uh, video platform called Zoom that is becoming popular with um, fitness instructors. I um, took part in a seminar that was offered through a Pilates organization uh, specifically about how to go about using Zoom. Uh, There were 250 people in the United States participating in this seminar. And, um, so that's, that's what I'm looking at. Because of, um, my pretty simplistic way of living, um, and doing what I really love as far as work and in my spare time, it's, it's uncomplicated. I'm just going to be missing the personal contact with my clients. I might not be able to do um, a video conference with a client if they don't have the technology or are not comfortable doing that, but I will certainly call and talk to them and, you know, see how their life is going. It has affected. It started. It it began affecting me financially when people started dropping off. That means I'm going to run out of savings if this continues, or I'm going to need to um, build my clientele online differently. Whether or not it's going to um, equal out financially, I. I'm leery to think it will. It's just all up in the air, and I'm thinking maybe I don't need a studio at all anymore. And this becomes my new model. I don't know. I teach what I teach and and have my livelihood because I believe what I do is beneficial for so many things. And just to keep... um, Breathing and moving to uh, reduce some stress about this event. I mean, so much can be done in your own home. It's, I'm trying to stay in the present and, and not worry about what comes next and to try to be creative. You know, there's all the options in the world is how I'm looking at it. The, the options are limitless. With the environment, uh, the situation, the cost of living here, uh, I mean, I'm looking into Medicare and, and my options to supplement what the government gives us. I compared a policy here, a supplemental plan with the same plan in Indianapolis, Indiana and the plan here costs $236 versus $78. So, um, that's the cost you pay to live in the sunshine here. I have one credit card. Um, I unfortunately was diagnosed with breast cancer about seven years ago before, and I had insurance, um, before the Affordable Care Act. And um, unfortunately, after trying to recover from what the insurance did not pay, I was left with about... $30,000 Thirty dollars to $40,000 of debt that I couldn't get out from under and had to declare bankruptcy a few years ago. Um, so I just have one little credit card and um, that's almost uh, zero balance. I am going to talk to my landlord um, for my um, Pilates studio uh, about what's happening, uh, to see if, um, there's a possible, you know, reduction on rent. Um, the good thing is she's a, a uh, part-time, um, client of mine, so she understands my situation perfectly. Um, my landlord at my apartment, um, I have not spoken with her yet. Um, I can get by for a couple months. Um, uh, but then I'll have no savings. So, I mean, it will, Unfortunately, uh, and fortunately I have some, uh, a couple of really good friends. Um, that will be there for me if I need it. Uh, is the future in Miami beach, I think for my lifetime.
0: Susan Hamilton in Miami Beach. She has rearranged her small apartment to make room to teach Pilates online. She says she has about a dozen clients that she's working with through video conferencing. Her landlords at both her Pilates studio and her apartment have waived rent for April. Now, if you or someone you know wants to share their story about dealing with the new financial realities brought on by the coronavirus, please email us, sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. It's Sunshine Economy at WLRNnews.org. Joe Johnson is our technical director. Katie Lepre, our engagement producer. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening.